Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello, this is It Could Happen Here, and today it's me, James, and I'm joined by four of my friends here in San Diego, and we are talking about San Diego's lying mayor and how he likes to punch down on poor people even though he promised he wouldn't. Uh, So joining me today, I'm going to ask you guys to all introduce yourselves, explain a little bit about what relevant background you have in the area, and then we'll get into it because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, So... Mandy, would you like to go first? Uh, hi, I'm Mandy. I, um, I'm a homeless advocate. I mostly do um, on-the-ground work with mutual aid, um, and then I advocate for them as much as I can um, with city municipalities um, and just organize that way. Great. And Colleen, you can go next if that's okay. Yeah, my name's Colleen Cusack. I'm a criminal defense attorney, and I uh, represent... Uh, approximately 50 homeless persons pro bono right now uh, who are cited with the crimes of survival, such as encroachment and overnight camping. So I can challenge laws and have them declared unconstitutional. Uh, Michael McConnell, I'm an advocate for people who are living unsheltered or homeless. And I've been working on this for about 13 years. First part, working within the system uh, as a philanthropist advocate 
volunteer, uh, former vice chair of the regional task force on the homeless. I'm a founding, was a founding member of a local philanthropy group called Funders Together to End Homelessness San Diego. I have participated on quite a few initiatives such as a Blitz Week where we housed about 100 people in three days, 25 Cities Initiative where we worked on ending veteran and chronic homelessness, created uh, the region's first by name list for veterans, uh, worked on a lot of uh, HUD mandated uh, COC continuum of care initiatives such as how we score projects to get homelessness funding, long communicated with our endless elected official Todd Gloria, who's now mayor, uh, who's made so many promises over the years and so many claims on homelessness. People just doubt almost everything he says about homelessness at this point, uh, rightfully so. And uh, probably most uh, most known for my on-the-ground advocacy now, where I do a lot of encampment support, work with, of course, unsheltered people, film the police around encampment sweeps and enforcement of, of laws that target homeless people and continue that till this day. Nice. Yeah. You're doing a lot of work on the street. It's great to see. And then Levi, uh, last but not least. Indeed. Hi, you guys. I'm Levi Giacalioni with Homeful Solutions. Um, I have uh, lived experience in being homeless. Um, I also work with a group of advocates called Lived Experience Advisors here in San Diego. Um, We try to hold them accountable and keep them honest. Um, And uh, we're also able to advocate for uh, a lot of what these people need in the recovery process, uh, just beyond like um, housing, which is the main thing. We know that uh, the homeless problem is a real estate crisis. Um, and then I also work as a housing navigator downtown. Um, so I work with a caseload of about 200 clients, um, about 60 or 70 of them, I would say have, um, SMIs and I'm down, um, really in like, uh, kind of one of the main areas of town that, um, you know, we have a lot of these, uh, people living outdoors. So, um, I'm at kind of the front lines of it, uh, every day when it comes to people needing to get a shelter bed, I'm the one that they cry to, um, you know, when, when they think that it's a, uh, you know, when they don't understand that it's the system that's broken, you know, I'm the one that they get yelled at, that, that gets yelled at, that, you know, they think I'm, I'm not doing enough, you know? And, um, so it's really interesting to be able to see all sides of it and see the promises that get made. And I, I literally have clients come in and say, Oh, Hey, look, everything's going to be fine because the mayor just said this week he's opening a new shelter. And I'm like, all right, let's do the math. That's a 40 bed shelter, right? And there's 8,000 homeless people in the county. So, you know, and so, um, yeah, I, I have to kind of break down that. Um, it's a good responsibility, I guess, to, to break down the system to my clients so that they can understand how broken it is, as well as, uh, you know, me being able to teach them patients to get them through the process too. So, and yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I, I want to get into how broken the system is because it consistently, I think like I every time, like I, I like to ride my bike around a lot. I'm always riding around town. Often I'll run into people who are in distress, right? Especially when we ride past the hospital, which is something we can get into. And they'll be like, oh, just just call up. We'll sort them out with a shelter bed. And like, and then they'll have this horrible moment of realization when they're like, oh, shit, like there's nowhere for this person to go. 
So let's talk a little bit about Todd Gloria, right? Todd Gloria is our mayor. He's a Democrat. He ran on a very progressive platform generally. Uh, and what he's done has been extremely reactionary. Um, so I wanted to start just by reading some Todd tweets. Uh, Todd's a poster. Um, perhaps not not as much of a poster as Rachel. Uh, Rachel Lang, his, I guess, uh, communications manager, I think. Uh, she has the soul of a poster and will uh, attack people working like Michael uh, to help people, which is distressing to see. Uh, but I wanted to uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Todd. So uh, I've got a few quotes here. June 22nd, 2019. Yes, I will be the first to enforce the law against those sheltered or unsheltered who break any law. But I will not use our codes to harass and criminalize sick and poor people. That's number one. Uh, August 22nd, 2018, what if we chose to take the resources we used to criminalize the homeless and redirect them to building housing instead? What if, Todd? Um, January 24th, 2019, uh, and he's tagged Michael in this one. Maybe right, but the sad fact is that this doesn't just happen before the PITC. That's the point in time count of unhoused people. It happens all the time. It's unfair to the unsheltered and to SDPD. My goal is to end chronic homelessness. The only way to do this is with permanent supportive housing, not criminalization. Uh, you're right, but that's not what you did. Uh, Californians of all political views know our homelessness crisis is a serious problem. More housing and services, not criminalization. It's past time to tackle this problem. I could keep going with these things, uh, but I won't because I think folks get the picture. So... Todd's talked a lot about how we don't need to criminalize poverty, how we don't need to criminalize living on the street, uh, and then has proceeded to criminalize living on the street, right? Um, so maybe we can just start with these sweeps that have happened pretty much consistently, I think, since Todd took office. And uh, people might be familiar with a little bit, like they may have seen some of the bikes being thrown away. That that was like, Michael had a video of that, which which had... How many views now? Oh, gosh, I don't know. A million or more. Yeah, it, a lot of people have seen that. But perhaps one of you would like to describe like exactly like how a sweep goes down, right? Like, like there's, there's a process of posting, sometimes a process of posting notices, but you don't have to post notices because people are encroaching. Like, what's the sort of uh, justification for it? And then what does that look like uh, for people on the ground? February 14th of this year is when uh, Todd Gloria started his uh, sweep enforcement. Um, it was unspoken, but during COVID, uh, they were just killing people with COVID instead of uh, by police. Although the police were doing their own thing. Um, so the sweeps, this what the police do at the sweeps is they use a series of unconstitutional ordinances, city ordinances only existing in the city of San Diego. Um, and these unconstitutional ordinances taken together make it illegal for um, anybody to exist in public space. So you, me, our mothers, our children, anybody in public space can be ticketed for these violations because they're so overbroad. For example, um, standing on a sidewalk, just being there on a sidewalk um, will be enough to to get you a citation issued if you can't prove you have a, a house to live in. Um, these laws, like I said, they're, they're written over broad. They apply to everyone, but the police use their discretion to only use them against poor persons. Uh, the vehicle habitation ordinance um, lists a series of items that if they're found in your car, 
police could use those to arrest you. And those items include things like food, water, trash. So everybody with food, water, or trash, doesn't have to be all three, just one of them, um, could be subjected to being arrested, have their comfort, have their taken to shelter, having their uh, children taken to CPS. And all because um, the city wants to come after poor people with, with ordinances. Um, so here's the fun. The, these ordinances can be charged either as misdemeanors or infractions. Mayor Gloria announced a progressive ordinance scheme, which means on day one, say Monday of the week, the individual is issued a warning. On day two, the individual is issued a infraction citation. That infraction citation gives them a date to appear months down the road um, to contest the case. But the very next day, they can be issued a misdemeanor citation. That misdemeanor citation also has a date months down the road for resolution. And then um, day four, they can be arrested and taken into custody. Um, all without ever having a, a day in, in court. Um, the citations, uh, if they're issued to people in Midway or downtown San Diego, direct them to appear in Claremont Mesa. It's about 12 miles away. These are individuals that have mobility issues. They can't get to and from court. Uh, they, can't, they can't really get to and from the end of the street very well without police threatening to take away their property. Court won't allow them to bring their property in with them. The buses won't allow them to, to bring um, their property on the buses. So they have to make a choice. Do they risk losing all the remaining property that they have in the world to go to court to defend against the charge that they uh, really don't have the the police can cite either as a misdemeanor or infraction, but when they cite as an infraction, that individual doesn't get um, an appointed attorney and um, nor jury trial. And so um, the punishment, the issuance of the citation becomes the punishment process. We're just, just trying to get to court and take care of your responsibilities um, becomes a chore, even if later it's dismissed. Uh, we found out through public records requests that 100% of the misdemeanors that are being cited are 100% um, of them are being dismissed. So people aren't getting their attempt, their their opportunity to defend themselves in court. They're all being dismissed. Um, and so, if the city was was serious about uh, believing that these individuals were committing criminal offenses, then they wouldn't be dismissing them after 100% of them after they were were issued. So Colleen is talking about the the uh, the laws or the codes that are used to uh, use during enforcement sweeps of people out here on the street. So the police go out and use these codes and municipal codes uh, to write people tickets and eventually take them to jail. That's just one kind of sweep. That's the enforcement sweeps. There's also uh, cleanup sweeps or abatement sweeps. We call them homeless encampment sweeps or homeless community sweeps where per settlement with past lawsuits, the city has to post three hour, 72 hour notices in areas. Then they come out with the police and environmental services and cleanup crews and they'll throw away all your belongings if you're not there. 
So that's another kind of sweep. So there's actually two kinds of sweeps. There's these cleanup sweeps where they throw away your belongings. And then there's the enforcement sweeps where they just go out with sometimes, oh gosh, Colleen, we've probably seen as many as 15, maybe 15 plus police go out to ticket people in a, a particular homeless community. So, and just put them through the ringer with all these citations that Colleen went through. Yeah. Um, and then uh, perhaps Levi, you're familiar with the system, right? I think uh, maybe the, the idea here is that the police are supposed to offer them shelter, right? Uh, and if they ask for shelter, they're supposed to offer it to them. Can you just explain about how that shelter could be extremely difficult or impossible for people to access? Yeah, absolutely. And then I'll tell you kind of some of the consequences that um, people face even uh, or as a result of this. But yeah. um, so uh, basically, like, let me paint the picture for you. So um, our location is a drop-in center. We don't uh, have any housing here on site. Um, and uh, so the clients will typically, there's a line out the gate when we get here at 8 o'clock in the morning. At 8 o'clock in the morning until 9 o'clock, all I do is shelter referrals. So that's everybody that's coming in the door that wants to get a shelter bed for that night, that night right? We're doing this at eight o'clock in the morning. And um, oftentimes I will get one or two, some days I don't get anyone into shelter um, because by nine o'clock, all of those beds are full. And that's what they report back to me as the service provider, right? Is, is at nine o'clock in the morning, there's no more shelter beds. Um, and uh, on top of that too, the other thing to, to mention too is like, you know, the police are supposed to offer them shelter but um we have like some kind of like conglomerates as far as organizations go in the shelter space um so if a client is for some reason not allowed to go back to that shelter um that's one pretty much forever um and b it could be something like behavior like they got anxiety and yelled at somebody right or it could be uh someone who can't complete their ADLs, as they call it, um, are like an incontinence issue. Um, so there's times where a doctor will say, yes, it is sanitary and medically necessary for you to use this little uh, bottle or whatever. Um, but then the shelter will then kick them out and not let them return for that kind of thing. So by nine o'clock, the shelter beds are full. Um, in the beginning, uh, when the Padres first started playing, they were doing their sweeps real early. Um, now they're doing their sweeps um, after the time that I'm being told as a service provider that the shelters are already full. And, um, and on top of that, our shelter system, you're, you can't stay there during the day, right? So some of these people that they're taking their stuff and throwing it away are actually in shelter. You know, they just had to take their belongings with them back to the streets where everyone can see them every day and, and, you know, all that. But um, recently I had a client who we had spent like a month and a half trying to get him in a shelter every single day and it wasn't going through. Finally, we got him in a shelter and um, a ticket for encroachment had come up that, you know, was not paid and he didn't go to court. So even though he was in shelter in the middle of the day, the police officers stopped him. They arrested him for his warrant. He was in there all weekend and he lost a shelter bed. Jesus. So. Yeah. So let's, um, perhaps you or Mandy could explain then like some of the things because yeah, under the guise of, I guess, a cleanup or a abatement or whatever you want to call it, like often 
they're actively stripping people of the things that they need to access shelter, to access housing, to transport themselves around, right? And so just one of you want to take on like what this means. Well, they'll, you know, they, they do it under the guise of we're going to, you know, we're cleaning up the area. Um, but they will drag entire tents full of people's belongings mm-hmm. and put them in the compactor. They won't go through them. They never look. Oftentimes there's medication in there, IDs, paperwork, things that, you know, people have to have to survive. Um you know, people can't get housing if they don't have identification. It's really difficult for them to get identification um, living on the streets. You know, it's it's a process. And that process um, sets outreach workers back. So, you know, you've got an outreach worker who may have gotten a voucher, got them an ID, and, you know, they've taken their, um, it's called a biospedat, where they're entered into the housing system, and they're waiting a housing match, and then their ID and everything gets thrown away. So then the outreach worker has to take time to go back and help them get another ID when they could be helping, you know, someone else get set up to maybe get into housing. Um, You know, they don't, they don't look through the things. This causes um, so much trauma for these folks. I've seen. um, So a lot of times with sweeps, um, Sometimes I say they'll allow people to gather their things and move them and then they'll sweep the area. I've seen times when they have had people gather their things, they move their things and then the police surround their things while people are standing there and they place their things in front of them while they are begging for their things. And they will not let them have them and they will put them in the trash compactor in front of them. And it's, I mean, the only way that you can view that is it's just punishment. Like you're not, you know, you're out here, you're poor. We don't have any options for you, but we're going to do this to deter you because we just don't want to see you here. Yeah. I like, I remember I was talking to someone downtown a couple of weeks ago uh, when I'd stopped to give some folks some water and like, uh, this person was saying like, this is the shit I chose to bring with me. Like I, I didn't, you know, it's not like I could take everything and these are the things that I wanted to keep because they were special to me. And yet now, now they're being trashed. Indeed, in 2018, I think 2018, a person was thrown in uh, one of those bin lorries, right? Yeah, like inside their tent. Um, just fucking unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, we've established that these sweeps are cruel. We've established that there's not really anywhere for people to go, Right. Um, they, they, they don't they don't provide a lasting solution to homelessness they just they just move people around and make it harder for them um so one of the things that we do in san diego is that we we have this thing called a point in time count right and i think there have been some fairly credible suggestions that the sweeps were increased in certain areas around the point in time count so what if you want to explain what that count like is and does yeah. Um, so the point in time count uh, really only captures like one night out of the year people experiencing homelessness. Um, there was a couple of obstacles even in um, that process this year. It was particularly really cold that night. Um, there were some tech glitches that should have been worked out uh, way more in advance. Um, uh, but um, that really only pictures like takes capture of one night. Um, the the data I like to often refer to because it just feels more realistic 
to me is um, RTFH um, states that in any given year, there's 30,000 people seeking assistance for homelessness. So um, whereas our point in time count, you know, shows one night, um, there is data being collected all year round. Uh, so at the point in time count, you have a lot of volunteers um, go out very early in the morning. Um, they have them count the population, um, try to do some interviews with them real quick. Um, the interviews are very personal. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's not necessarily something somebody wants to wake up and answer at 5 a.m., but we found some people that were, uh, you know, willing to talk. Um, but that's, that's the point in time count in a nutshell. Okay. And then, like, what's uh, – I know that downtown – I think the downtown partnership collects their own data, right, because the data we have is very unreliable. What's our best guess at people, like, maybe in the city who are unsheltered at, at this time? I believe it's over 1,500 unsheltered homelessness, meaning that they're not in a shelter or, you know, some kind of program. Okay. And, just, and that's just in downtown San Diego, not the whole county. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So downtown San Diego, for people not familiar, is a pretty small part of uh, a very large county, right? Um, with, I think San Diego has the highest like ratio of average income to property prices anywhere in the country now, if I recall correctly. Yes. It's, it's incredibly unaffordable. Um, so this has led, uh, uh, unfortunately, but probably pretty predictably, to a number of deaths on our streets, right? And for for last week, if I recall correctly, or four in a seven-day period uh, this August, as it's hot, it's it's hot for San Diego right now. Uh, and despite this, we've seen this just like incredibly callous response from the city. I guess where like um, we've seen Todd, for instance, Todd Gloria, who's our mayor, giving a speech in front of a shelter where somebody's remains were taken away a few hours before it and not mentioning that someone had just passed away in that place. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to talk to people about the gap between rhetoric and reality, because if you were only learning about this from the city and Todd's Twitter account, you'd think that it was fine, right? Because he's posting about these new shelter beds. But perhaps you can explain how at best that's a drop in the ocean and at worst it's a distraction from a problem that's getting worse. I, I think that, um, you know, there's the reality that they want the public to see. And then there's the reality that's happening um, and I think that they're failing so badly um, at getting people into services because um, many of the services just don't fit people's needs. Um, so they want to paint this picture that all the unsheltered people that are out in their tents living on the street or living in their vehicles are service resistant. Um, and I hear that all the time. You know, we ask them, they don't want services. It's not that people don't want services. Many of these people have tried some of the service centers in San Diego and the barriers are extremely high. Um, you know, the, the check-in time and check-out time can be difficult for people that are working. Um, they'll separate families. So, um, you know, sometimes the, the, they'll tell you, oh, you can go in together if your husband and wife or if your partners, and then you get to the shelters and they say, I'm sorry, you can't be together because we don't have family space. So you have to go to a men's shelter and you have to go to a women's shelter. Um, they'll also do that with, uh, say a mother has a 16 year old son and she needs to go into a shelter and there's not a family shelter. Um, she cannot take her son into a women's shelter with her. He has to go into a men's shelter. Um, so 
you know, then, you know, people with their pets, their only source of like love and acceptance, you know, a lot of places won't take pets. A lot of places take people if they're using substances. So we've got all these boundaries that are keeping people on the streets and no one's talking about that. And no one's talking about the fact that some of, not all of them, but some of the service providers um, are profiting off of these poor people because they represent state and federal dollars. Um, So you've got shelters that are run horribly and you know, the more people that come in, they just want to cycle them through because that gives them money and that pays their CEO and all of their family members that are, you know, working for the nonprofit. Um, and, and these people, because they're unsheltered, they don't feel they have a voice. They don't feel they can speak up because of retaliation. So they're just constantly abused. And then you've got the city who's saying, look at all these fantastic things we're doing, um, which is, is, couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, And then they constantly use the narrative that folks are service resistant, um, when in reality, the services that are out there are too few and um, too difficult and just they're not meeting people where they're at and they're just setting people up to fail every time. Yeah, that's well said. Uh, Another thing I want to get into with the shelter specifically is these congregate shelters, right? And what in the in the context of an ongoing pandemic that maybe is transitioning into another pandemic, can you explain what what's a congregate shelter? Right, it's a long word, but it's it's it. Uh, what does it mean, and how are those dangerous, especially for medically compromised or older people living on the street? Our bulk of our shelter system here in San Diego, in the city of San Diego, is congregate shelter, uh, meaning people are just placed in one big room, or in some cases, big circus type tents. We have a few of those where people are sleeping in cots literally three feet apart. So you can imagine how horrible that is for the spread of disease. That's why we've had some very large uh, outbreaks of COVID in our in our shelter system, and, and they're frequently closed to new intakes. I think it's really important also to let folks know that, like you said, if you, li- if you look at uh, Mayor Gloria's Twitter or social media feed, you think They're doing everything they can, and there's all these resources. But on any given day, there may be a few dozen shelter beds available for literally thousands and thousands of people that are sleeping on our streets at night. And the only reason there's a few dozen shelter beds is because they've kicked some people out that day for breaking some minor rules. Most people who leave shelter go back to the street. So, shelter is not a very good pathway to anything. Roughly one in Seven people who leave a city of San Diego shelter go to a permanent housing solution. That's that's a very, very low. In fact, under Mayor Gloria, I've seen some of the lowest success rates of our system than I've ever seen in my 13 years of working on this. Our our system has actually is is actually working worse than it was before Todd Gloria took over. So he has done very, very little. And it, most of what he's done has been mostly performative, adding some shelter beds here and there, uh, very little on the housing front. In fact, he's left tens of millions of dollars on the table that he hasn't applied for. He did not utilize a California funding stream called Project Room Key that would have allowed him to rent hotel rooms 
mostly on the government dime, on our taxpayer dime to get people off the street. He actually refused to do that. He has refused to open safe camp areas where people could go and camp and get off of the sidewalks. Many of us and, and others in the community have pushed for real solutions and for him to utilize these funding sources, and he's absolutely refused to do it. Meanwhile, like we stated earlier, he has deployed the police, garbage trucks, and everybody else to go out there and make people's lives miserable. So he's just been an absolute failure on this issue. And at the same time, he's been the one who's given the most lip service to solutions for this. It is absolutely incredible what a disaster he has been for not only for the unsheltered community, but for San Diego. I've begun, I've began saying that he is San Diego's worst enemy. And, and I just can't believe as somebody who supported him, supported him in his election, urged people to vote for him. You can imagine how hoodwinked I was. Uh, I, I just can't believe that this guy has been so horrible for our city. And, and, and every indication is that he's going to continue being, he's going to continue running the city into the ground and letting people die on our streets at record numbers. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, but didn't, uh, when he came out of the gate, didn't Gloria estimate how many um, people he was going to house under his term? And didn't he lowball it? Didn't he lower the number than, than in previous years? Oh, yeah, that was some kind of a, was yeah. that a state or a federal government goal that he set? And he actually set a goal of housing people that was less than we had done in the previous year. So his, his big stretch was to actually house fewer people. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if he's even, I don't even know if he's even getting there. Right, I mean, right. this guy, this, this guy is unbelievable, the kind of nonsense that he is pulling on the citizens of our city. It, it is unbelievable. But he has invested so much in PR and he's got these folks who, who are just good at spinning th this, this nonsense to make it sound good. And because he gets a lot of media attention, he has a big, obviously a big pulpit to, to, to spew this nonsense from. He, he's, He's able to get a lot of people to believe it. Now on homelessness, anybody who has a decent set of eyes is basically calling bullshit. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot of people anymore who think we're, we're doing very well on this issue. And so I, I think he's going to have a harder and harder time convincing people that he's worthy of worthy of reelection or certainly worthy of a higher office at some point, which is all he seems to care about. Yeah. And, and can I add some more? So, so he's personally to blame. He has personal involvement of getting rid of 10,000 SROs, single rental units, that, that if we had those today, minus our 8,000 homeless people, we would not have homelessness. Yes. So we got rid of units that he was required to replace and never replaced them. That's his fault. Um, I call him a monster. I, I was, uh, you know, Kevin Falconer criminalized, but he was a Republican. We expected it of him. 
And he didn't tell it, promise us he was going to end criminalization to get our vote. Um, one of the reasons that are probably the only the main reason that that Gloria didn't didn't put funding into Project Green Key um, was because the city is in this unique position of owning and operating the nonprofit that runs the convention center. So when COVID hit, they were looking at the nonprofit going belly up because they couldn't put any events in there and having to lay off all their staff. So instead of putting people in hotels where they'd be safe, they put them in a convention center where they'd be exposed to COVID and would die. But the city funded um, nonprofit would be funded. So um, that's just heinous. And one hundred and thirty two million dollars is what Todd Gloria got the city to to pay out on a settlement on Ash Street. Yeah. Ash was his boondoggle. He cost us that. He convinced city council to invest all this money to slide donor money to his to slide city money to his donors. What is Ash Street for for listeners who aren't familiar with our real estate grift scene? <laughs> like, do, do the so, James, if you yeah. were going to go buy a house right now, uh, mm-hmm. you would think it is important that you get a, a property inspection, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Would you think it would be important to uh, Google or seek out documents that may uh, inform you of asbestos prior to your purchase? Yeah, I'd want to know that. Yeah. So um, these are two of the opportunities that they missed when they entered this deal with um, uh, with the 101 Ash Street. Um, so they basically had a, a middleman, Sestera, uh, come in and purchase the property and then lease to own it back to the city. Um, at no time was an inspection done. Um, the asbestos was, uh, uh, people were aware of it, um, but uh, there was no studies done on what the impact was going to be and all that. So now we've got ourselves sunk into this deal that um, is estimated to cost taxpayers $202 million, right? So I punched some of the maths, okay? Yeah. And if you assume uh, that one year's rent is $24,000, right? Yeah. Uh, $202 million divided by $24,000 is more than 8,000 people that this taxpayer money, you know, and it's always, it's just, and it's in a cycle and it's, it's not only the cycle there, but it's also the cycle of, we don't have enough police. So they're bringing in more police when we don't have the housing. And then the police that we do have are working overtime to pick up shopping carts and throw away tents, you know? So, um, so the the Ash Street deal, there's plenty to Google on it, but it is, it is, uh, like historically going to go down in, in San Diego's screw ups for sure. Yeah. It's a giant monument to grift. Go ahead, Colleen. But we don't have any police is also more gaslighting. We have plenty of police. When I started yeah. practicing law 30 years ago, two police officers would show up at the scene. Now at least six police officers show up every single time we yeah. have an overblight of, of police and uh, we could afford to lay off two thirds. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, uh, but instead we just built a childcare center for them. Uh, right. Yeah. Just back so, on that real quick about the yeah. police. Um, one thing that I think um, they also push the narrative that you know there's this hot team, the homeless outreach team, that mm-hmm. the police they never take water, they never really take anything, um, and they search for unsheltered people, and they have these pop up events. And they rarely get any traffic to these things. And people often wonder why. Um, We cannot expect unsheltered people to 
trust and accept help from the same people that criminalize them, terrorize them, harass them, and throw their things away. Um, so, you know, adding more police to deal with homelessness um, is just also a waste of money. It causes more trauma to the unsheltered people, and it's completely unnecessary. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. Now, this is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. If you ever felt like you were always too much this while also never being enough that, this is the podcast for you. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more via my own personal stories, along with interviews with inspiring thought leaders from our community. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community that you need to know. So much of what makes our community so beautiful is our diversity, yet too often those of us who don't fit into this dumb, stereotypical box of whatever it means to be Latino are left without a voice or just forgotten about. On this show, I celebrate the uniqueness of our culture and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
so we're talking about this duality between like, uh, like what's said and what 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 exists on the street, right? And it's it's very apparent. Uh, people on the internet love to be wrong about George Orwell, uh, but I think like the the one time recently where I felt that like Orwell would be a useful thing to deploy is the idea of a care court, like um, which is the thing that Todd's been very strong on. The Gavin Newsom's pushed, right? Uh, courts, in my opinion, don't care about people. That's not their role. Uh, so can someone explain what a care court is and why it's relevant in this setting? So the framework of this is you have a bunch of um, liberals in Gloria and uh, Gavin Newsom's ear saying we have to we have to end homelessness. And the politicians are saying, oh, well, we can't end homelessness because they're all mentally ill drug users. Okay, so that's the first premise that we're working with, and they're not. Ten percent are uh, use drugs and have mental illness in a debilitating, to a debilitating extent, in the homeless population, um, and the drug use uh, is parallels the the rate of drug use in the house community. We don't take houses away from drug users who are housed and make them get sober before we return their houses to them. So requiring that they be sober before we get a house is asked backwards. Um, we have to get them into housing first. Now the uh, care court is set up just to pass more money to their donors. That's all it's set up to do. It's not going to um, ease anything. It's going to uh, set, set up a situation where if a person is considered gravely disabled, then they can be put into a conservatorship and gravely disabled is defined as unable to provide shelter for oneself. So essentially, everybody who is poor is now gravely disabled, and the rich who got them in this position can make all the decisions for them. I'm very passionate about this because it's it's cruel, and it's 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 essentially the return of all the institutionalization that was set set turned off. The whole reason that you know Reagan got every got everybody released from the prisons because of the mental illness, but he never paid, there was never any payment into community mental health services. So um, now they want to return them to the institutionalization after never providing any street, a sufficient street um, services for them. And that's, that's just uh, cruel. Yeah. And so with um, the whole care court plan, there's like a few very large holes in it. One is that it does not mention that there is any housing uh, stipulation at all. So it does not say that the conservator must provide them shelter. Um, the check-in guidelines are once every 30 days, which is about like the same time period that we have them check in with their case managers is at least once every 30 days. Um, and they also try to try to tell it like, um, well, it's it could be temporary, right? Like once they get better, then they'll be off the conservatorship. And what that says to me is it's like, okay, you force them into treatment and then once they get kicked out of treatment you say okay they're healed and then you know they're back away from their services and i've had clients who thought uh maybe a conservatorship is right for me i've had clients like begging where they're like i just can't do stuff right like you know um and i had one client specifically ask me to be her conservator and I care about her so much. Um, and if I thought that her having a conservator would really benefit her, then absolutely. But as of right now, there's no difference in um, whether a conservator can get somebody shelter better than me as a service provider 
or if they can get them into a treatment program better than a service provider. Now, Colleen was talking about how only 10% of our homeless population has a drug addiction, but in San Diego County as a whole, 15% of San Diegans have a uh, substance use issue, right? My, my 10% was debilitating, a debilitating. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, good to clarify. Um, <laughs> but so that being said, 15% is way more than our homeless population. Those aren't the only ones with um, substance use. But if you are on Medi-Cal, right, if you're low income and low income in, in San Diego is anyone making less than $76,000 per year, um, which is a lot more people than they realize. If you are low income, um, um, can I bump in just because I yeah. you said if you're low income, but I have some memes here. I want to point some facts on the care court care court okay. to address houselessness, but of its $65 million budget, zero will go to housing and zero will go to mental health services. That's shocking. Zero to mental health services or housing. Care court will weaponize its unchecked power and worsen the historical violence against black and brown communities. And care court claims to address mental health ability, disabilities, but allows a judge to rob anyone they find unfit of autonomy over their health, home, and life. Yeah. And I did remember my thoughts. So, um, like, the people on Medi-Cal, um, they're, as far as detox facility goes, like, you, we already know fentanyl's in everything now. Even if somebody thinks they're getting coke or or whatever they think it is, typically there is fentanyl in it. So um, anyone who does wish to go through uh, a detox, um, it's impossible to get them beds. Like I have clients who come and they're like, "Please, I know, I know, I gotta get work this out of my life, and I'm I'm gonna try. Can you get me into detox?" And we'll spend the whole day, you know, and 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 there's one, and like all these people are competing for maybe one bed at the detox facility. So if it was like we had the infrastructure set up and we had this awesome mental health care and we had these awesome like street medics and street therapy and we had, okay, and everyone in the conservatorship is going to uh, be housed at this place, like then, then maybe, but like this whole thing is just, it's, it's a load of crap. So. Well, Levi, if we had, if we had all those things, if we had a good system, that had good substance use treatment, good mental health care and housing, we wouldn't have all these folks on the street. Amen. And so it's kind of interesting that they're, they're creating something to solve an issue that they don't have the infrastructure to solve. But I think it's important to note that uh, Care Court is a conservatorship, but we already have conservatorship laws on the books. Conservatorship laws, they're very strict. It's a very high threshold to get somebody conserved currently. For good reason. You're taking away somebody's civil, you're taking away somebody's rights to, to make their own decisions, is what a conservatorship is. But for some folks that are gravely disabled and, and impaired, uh, it is the best thing to do. It's for you know for very few people, but but the the city attorneys and the people in the hospitals, uh, the workers, uh, they don't want to go through it because it is very difficult and challenging. And oftentimes the judge, the judge will deny it because that's how, how important it is for people to have these civil rights. So sometimes you even have to do it multiple times with somebody who, prob you know, who may actually need it. And I speak from firsthand experience of helping people 
you know, go through this process and try to, you know, and, and trying to get a conservatorship on somebody who just really, really needs it. Care court would lower that threshold so much. I, I doubt it's legal. I, I'm sure it's going to get challenged in court. It, it, it is such a dangerous, uh, a dangerous leap against our civil liberties, our civil rights, uh, that I, I just am going to find it incredible if, if judges allow this to move forward when it's challenged. Uh, but the, the main point is that people need help. They need care, not court. And if we would provide the care, which our elected officials don't want to do, I think this is just a cop out on their part. I think this is, this is, this is the elected official saying, uh, we have failed. So we'll just punt it to the courts and let them take ownership and control of this, which in effect, the courts are just kicking it to the counties because the county is our behavioral health provider who's going to have to provide these services and be responsible for these folks. I think this is going to be such a train wreck. But the one thing it is illuminating is that our behavioral, our behavioral health system is so broken, so dysfunctional that they would even be trying to do this. I think it's basically a, an indictment of our system. And, but care court's not going to fix anything. That's, and I think it's setting people up for failure. I, I've talked to a, some families who are, who are really, uh, now these are house folks who have, uh, seriously mentally ill loved ones, whether it's spouses or, or children, um, siblings, they, they see this as a silver bullet to get care for these, their loved ones. And maybe it works better for that segment of the population because they have somebody, they have a loved one as an advocate to make sure that the care is the care is the focus but for for unsheltered folks they're going to be abused and used by this system uh maybe warehoused uh who knows they're going to end up worse off in my opinion and so uh i for one am against it as it's written and certainly fear that the implementation of it is going to be a travesty uh that I just can't imagine, can't imagine that this so-called liberal state uh, would try to trample the rights of people like this. And, oh boy, I tell you, it's, there's so much dangerous about this that I, I mean, we could, we could have a whole show talking about this and maybe, and I'm sure there will be a lot of talk about this down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I think they will. All right. So what I want to do is, Focus a little bit to finish up here on some solutions. So the things that a lot of you guys are doing uh, right now to provide people with help, to provide people with the basic necessities of living a, a dignified existence and like how the state could do better, right? Like what, what housing first solutions look like, what solutions are informed by evidence rather than just informed by sort of cruelty and the desire to brush the problem aside. What do those look like? I think you have to, you know, you can't expect people to get well 
<clears throat> living on the street. So you've, you've got to get them inside. Um, and congregate shelters, we've already talked about why those are so problematic on so many levels. Um, there is a model in San Diego that's being used by a nonprofit um, where right now it's only for elderly um, individuals. Uh, it's called Housing for the Homeless. And they put um, unsheltered elderly folks in hotel rooms. And it's had tremendous success. For some reason, it cannot get funding, city or um, county funding. Um, but getting these people off the street and out of survival mode is first and foremost. And then you've got them in a stable place so that services can find them when they need them. They can get the health care they need. They can get mental health services. Um, you know, we need to bolster our our rehab and addiction um services. We also need more harm reduction. Um, you know, it can take you one to three weeks to get in just to detox at McAllister, which is the only um, detox center in San Diego, south of Encinitas. And detox is separate from um, sober living. So you may detox and then it may be another one to three week wait to um, get into sober living, which is just enough time to get turned back out on the streets and relax again. Um, and after that, even there's no housing at the end of the tunnel. So, you know, really the the biggest thing that we're missing is housing. Um, and then everything else trickles down from there. Um, you know, just building these relationships with people so that they can can trust that you're on their side and you're not going to lie to them, give them empty promises or or use them in some way to uh, to monetize them for yourself is is one of the the biggest things that I've found of importance for me as an on the ground, um, you know, outreach worker and doing mutual aid. Um, you know, most of the time these people just don't have water. You know, they're they're thirsty, they're hungry, um, and that's what poverty looks like. Um, so I, I think we've, you know, we've got to get these people inside um, immediately. And then we start deploying the resources to them um, to help them recover from the trauma of being on the street or, you know, whatever trauma led them to be in that situation. Um, I think people often forget that a lot of folks on the street, um, you know, there's the foster to the streets pipeline. There's the jail to the streets pipeline. Um, so, you know, many people don't end up on the streets because they have family to help them. And a lot of these folks on the streets, they don't have any family members. So, um, you know, as a community, we need to step up and be their family. So that, that's great. And I think, I think we, we have to understand that the homeless service system, and I'm going to talk about some of the good things that are happening, because I think that's, it's important for people to know there's a ton of stuff happening, uh, both grassroots all the way up. But it's important to understand that the homeless service system can only do so much. As, as Mandy was talking about, these pipelines that feed homelessness, people are becoming homelessness. I've never seen so many new people out here on the street in my work. I'm on the street some part, well, a lot of the every day. And I'm seeing more new people than I've ever seen in my last 13 years. And there's all these feeder systems. It's, it's child welfare, it's foster care, it's, it's criminal justice, it's the education system. You know, you can name it. It's it's uh, the healthcare system. All these things are feeding homelessness. It's the it's the how we've commoditized housing. It's I mean, I can go on and on talking about what's feeding homelessness. It's the lack of safety nets. It's the lack of good mental health care and substance use uh, care. 
So homeless services cannot control these things up above these systems, these billion dollar systems that are feed, that are failing people and feeding homelessness. What homeless services system is, and I like to say they've got a lot of mission creep going on here because ideally they really should be focused on getting people into housing and out of homelessness, but they've become this, this big system that uh, is really getting very costly to feed and it's very inefficient and ineffective. But we know what solves homelessness. Housing and services solve homelessness, period. And it works. We see when these new quality projects like Zephyr or Trinity Place, these, these housing, uh, they're not projects, they're housing. They're housing with services. So we call them projects, but they're just like any other apartment building, really, except they have supportive services for folks. And they work extremely well. They have a 95% plus success rate of keeping folks housed, even folks who have some, who are disabled and have some significant issues. And it helps provide that self-sufficiency by providing a deep rental subsidy and supportive services for folks who aren't ever going to be able to take care of their own rent totally themselves. There is no free housing. Everybody who gets these these units pays 30% of their income, whether it's disability income, social security, retirement, whatever, they're paying some money. That's not free housing. People are helping themselves. And that's really important to say. And they're participating in services. But once you're in housing, your participation in services rates go up because people want to continue to keep doing better and stay in the housing. These things are being built. They're being built as we speak, but at a snail's pace. And that's the things that I fault our elected leadership for is they're nibbling around the edges. So Todd, has Todd Gloria done some, some good things? A few, but they're so small and he blows them up to like he's solving something and he's not. Has the county done some good things? Yeah, they've actually done more good things than I've ever seen them do, but it's still not anywhere close to the pace that we need. They've opened up some mental health crisis centers that are actually walk-in centers. They've put together some mental health crisis teams that respond to a small percentage of cases of when you call 911. But it is helping. All of these things help, but they need to, what really needs to be done is the things that we know work need to be taken to scale. But we have to also understand the challenges of that. We can't just fault the elected officials for some things they don't have control over. As we all know, there's it's hard time, it's a hard time hiring people. So we need a lot more staff that work with that are providing mental health services and substance use services. But we won't get there. And this is where the elected officials have have a lot of fault is they've really not put a priority in on this issue. And this is where there's the biggest disconnect. On one hand, you have Todd Gloria constantly saying how this is his number one issue. On the other hand, his actions don't show that. I'm a big believer in, in bicycle safety and safe roads and things like that, but he seems to put more importance on a bike lane than he does solving homelessness. And they're both important, but we have 500 people dying on our streets uh, because they're homeless. That's, you know, he, he needs to put, he needs to back up his, his talk with action, just like, you know, they're, they're expanding some bike lanes. And I think that's great. Uh, 
I think they need to do it a lot smarter because some of them don't seem to be that safe to me. But uh, that's a whole nother show too. Yeah, yeah that's a, yeah. That's that's a, good that I shouldn't that. be involved in, but <laughs> but uh, they don't seem to be very strategic to me, and they just don't seem to be very. They don't seem to care. They seem to be more interested in hoodwinking the public so they can get their next job. We need people who care, mostly that care about people, but also care about spending our money efficiently and effectively. But some of the grassroots stuff, uh, like I say, getting people into hotel rooms and then getting into housing is a good pathway. Uh, the county opened a small shelter. I think it's 44 beds or so. Uh, it's the first small shelter that they open that's really more tailored toward people with substance use and mental health needs. It has a great uptake rate and, and, and the feedback from people on the streets is good. So here we have something that the county did that was good. We need a lot more of them, but instead they're opening another jumbo tent. So these things are very frustrating to folks like myself and Mandy Pauline, uh, the different people, the, the, the people who are actually on the ground working that are trying to get people into the assistance. We know what we know, the things that people will go into, including substance use help. But whenever you try to get somebody in it and you're told there's a three week waiting list, you lose that person. They want to go. They want to go now. You got to be responsive to the person's uh, motivation in that moment to get the help. And it's heartbreaking for people like Mandy and me who are out there on the street and people are crying out for this help. And it's just bullshit when these folks, whether it's the police or the mayor say that there's the people don't want help. It's really disgusting because when you're on the street, like we are, and people are pleading for this help and we can't help them because it's not available. We know firsthand and we call bullshit. We call bullshit on, on the rhetoric that comes out of, of these people's mouths. We know the people. We see their faces. Those tears are real. That pleading for help is real. And we can actually help them if we do what's right. And so uh, we could talk all day about some of the good things, too, that the grassroots, uh, people like Mandy are out there um, just on the ground doing we're not paid to do this. None of us here on this call, except for Levi. Levi works within the system and thank goodness for him. And I, the last thing I want to say, and I, I, I'm always remiss if I don't remind, remember to say this, but I always want to send a shout out. This is not the fault on, of the hardworking people on the street, whether you're paid or not. I just want to say thanks to all of the folks who take on this job paid or not, to go out and help people firsthand and try to do the best with this shitty system that they're given. So there's a lot of people who take very little pay. They do this because they care or the volunteers who do it because they care to help people. And there's a lot of folks out there really trying hard to help folks. And they are helping people one by one by one. And we need the support we need, we have to have the support of, of the Todd Glorias and the Nathan Fletchers of the world and the Gavin Newsoms to do the right thing and, and to keep funding what works and to quit doing what doesn't. And so um, I think it's just important to round out by saying that. Yeah, I think it's very good. All right. So 
all of you are out helping people. Uh, I see it all the time on your on your social media. Where can people find you? Uh, and how can they support what you're doing if it's getting people tents, getting people water, that kind of thing? Uh, should we start with, um, uh, let's just go down the list. I'll start with Mandy. Um, <clears throat> I usually um, kind of bum off of Michael for funding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because, uh, most of everything I do, um, I pay for myself. Um, so I, you know, if he has, he does a GoFundMe and then, you know, he'll be like, Hey, I got GoFundMe money and, you know, I meet him and he like loads up my car and off I go. Um, you know, people can, can find me on Twitter. Um, I think I'm cute Cooper too. Um, I'm, I'm very passionate. So, um, you know, it's like, be careful <laughs> what you look at on my feed. Um, you know, I just, I love these people and, um, I, I want to see them because they're all people. I want to see them get the help. And one thing that Michael taught me in the very beginning of this, because, you know, I started this, um, maybe about two, three years ago. One thing that Michael said to me that resonated with me because, you know, I was out doing these, you know, like I call them parades now, which are like liberal marches, um, you know, yelling at buildings when no one's in and, you know, then going home and feeling good about what I did. Um, and he said, you know, Mandy, he said, every single social justice issue that everyone fights for, Black Lives Matter, immigration, um, disability, um, you know, all of these things come together, you know, um, LGBTQIA+, all of those people are overrepresented in the homeless population. And so it shakes down to that. And so I thought, you know, my mind was like blown and I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm out here marching for people and the, the most marginalized of them are living on the street. Um, and there's very little help for those people because unfortunately, whether what whatever marginalized group you come from, when you become homeless, that overtakes all of them. And there is a huge public hatred for unsheltered people. And it is bipartisan across the board. Um, so we we all just need to realize that this is, you know, this is a societal failure and a social justice issue. Um, and I I hope that you know, more people would, will get up and, and get, go to the ground and start talking to your unsheltered neighbors, try to, to build a relationship with them, reach out to their humanity. Um, and, and if you just do it with one person, if each of us just did it with one person, it would make such a difference. Even if you can't get them in housing or you don't have a lot of money, literally just treating them like a human being means so much to these folks. Yeah, this that's very important. Um, <laughs> Kelly, what would you like to say? Where can people find you? How can they help? That was just like how to find us, right? <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> I thought it was great. I welcome it. Sorry. No, I, I thought it was really good. Um, everybody should have a Mandy. Um, I, uh, I, my name's Colleen Cusack, C-U-S-A-C-K. Uh, you can Google me and find me. I am in searchable in the attorney directory. My number is 619-823-4630. And my email address is C, another C-U-S-A-C-K, dot 
policy at gmail.com. Um, and I'm on uh, Twitter uh, at symbol OBJKSHN, which stands for objection. Great. Thank you. All right, Michael. So I, like Mandy, I've just funded my work myself also, except for about, oh gosh, I don't know, a month or two ago, I was out on the street uh, filming some sweeps, watching the police and the environmental service workers throw away people's tents. And, and I, and I, um, and I said, well, I'm, I'm going to go get those people some new tents. And the police officer told me, go ahead, we can throw them out faster than you can give them out. And I tweeted about that. And, you know, I think it really, you know, it struck a chord with people. So I've had people offer to help before, but I've just had this real outpouring of, of offerings to help lately. So for the first time ever, I set up a GoFundMe. And in the first day, I just said, you know, this is just to help support encampments that are impacted by the sweeps or, or whatever is needed and to support other grassroots people like Mandy who are out there. And I think I raised about $3,000 in the first day. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that it really was touching because, you know, I didn't even hardly, I just put it out on Twitter, I think. And um, I haven't promoted it much since, but I think we're up to six or $7,000. Why are we and, shopping? And I use that <laughs> every day. Yeah. I don't know, where are you? The, um, uh, I'm retired, so I get to do this uh, all day long. Uh, people like Mandy, they have a job. They're doing this as a second job that's unpaid. So um, uh, so what I do is, 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 is help, uh, is to buy stuff. I, I help other, I funnel money to other organizations. Uh, I also uh, promote vetted uh, GoFundMes of other people on my social media site. So I really would appreciate you following me on Twitter. It's at homelessness SD at homelessness SD on Facebook. It's homelessness news, San Diego on, on Instagram. It's the same. And on YouTube, it's, I think it's homelessness news, San Diego on YouTube. I just started a YouTube page. Well, actually, I started a long time ago, but I just started posting stuff on there. <laughs> so I have a lot of followers. It's a pretty active conversation, especially on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I get the mayor's people lashing out at me, attacking me because they don't like me calling them out. Um, I get, you know, I, I get haters on there, too. I let them voice their opinion. Uh, I, I let the conversation flow. Um, but what I do is, you're, what, and I, I do warn you that especially on Twitter, it's heart wrenching stuff. So I'm out here on yeah. the ground, I'm seeing people die. I'm seeing horrible stuff and I'm, I'm sharing it with you because I think people deserve to know the truth. The elected officials like mayor Todd Gloria, they don't want you to know the truth, but I'm going to bring it to you. I work every day to bring you the truth that's going on out here on the street. And it's ugly. It, it, it's, it, but it's also, I also see some amazing stuff. I also see some amazing heartwarming stuff, people helping people. So it's everything, but it, it's a roller coaster ride, folks. So, you know, uh, just be prepared. And from there, you can find my GoFundMe. Um, but most of all, you can get educated on the issue. Make up your own mind. Uh, don't just listen to the bullshit that's spewed out of City Hall. Uh, see it on the ground for yourself. Uh, I take people out with me. Uh, 
I, I do a lot of work with the media, but, but just, just, just join the conversation, join the conversation, learn, donate if you want to learn where you can donate your time to other people. Yeah. Message me. You can come with me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We're just real people out there doing, you know, doing stuff. And yeah. I worked within the system trying to, I went to all these meetings. I, I spent a whole ton of money within the, within the mainstream system, which I'll never do again because it's a black hole. So I mostly promote grassroots stuff now. And um, we're just out there doing it and, and doing what we can uh, in a very difficult situation, but join the conversation and see what's going on. And yeah. thanks James. I just, I appreciate all your support over the years, um, uh, both uh, amplifying our messages, getting messages out on social media and just for everything that you do on social justice issues and, and, and safety issues. Um, so, and hold them accountable on the bike stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. will do. That's another episode. I will plug Levi on Levi's behalf because uh, Levi had to jump off to sort out an emergency, but it's Homeful Solutions, which on Twitter is at the solution 619. Uh, you can find them there. Uh, and Levi can help folks if they are in San Diego access services. Um, so yeah, that's been us today. Please do follow these people. Please get out and try and be a good neighbor to the unhoused community wherever you are. Feel free to reach out to any of us if you need some help or advice on how to do that or want to come out here in San Diego. All right, thank you very much, everyone. Appreciate you taking some of your thank afternoon. You. Thank you. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.